This is Two Teachers Talking, uh, episode 43, and this is Tony Silva, Charles Wiz, and we get together and talk about teaching, about teaching English, about teaching English in Japan in increasing specificity, and uh, today we're going to talk about being a tough teacher, tough getting guys. tough. You tough, Charles? Um, you tough you enough? Mean, you mean like overcooked steak or something? <laughs> <laughs> yes, then I'm tough. I think I've been overcooked. Hard but... to fathom. I'm not sure. Oh, what a, what a loaded term. Mm. What a loaded term. The idea of the tough teacher, right? Mm. We can go back into every teaching movie that Hollywood has ever made. The teachers are always tough. Or they're incredibly... Out of have lost control of a classroom, right? You don't have the person who's doing both, so <laughs> right? You know, it's not like one day they have control of the class and the next day everything's out and insane. Well, where so, would you where would you put Cotter? Welcome back, Cotter. Where is oh, God. well, okay. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Cultural <laughs> reference thing. here. Cultural reference. <laughs> Dating ourselves and actually is probably maybe the last shared television reference you and I can have, right? Anyway, why don't you explain? Welcome back, Cotter. John Travolta's a start jumping off point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a he was was a a television show. Hedgehog. Yeah, it was just a TV show, and it was a I don't yeah. He was was a hard to describe teacher. Another one of those like was he tough? Was he not tough? Who knows? Are you tough? Am I tough? We don't know. Um, But before we get to the the toughness, maybe just one little quick follow up on the coordinated program thing. Uh, We did have. um, I'm going to be tough and not allow you to go back. <laughs> <laughs> listener Allison, I'm not. I'm going to ignore you. Uh, yeah, listener. Allison okay, I guess out, I'm not tough. I'm definitely pointed not out. Tough. Allison it. pointed out <laughs> that um, uh, we were talking about coordinated programs and uh, you know the ability of coordinators to do this and that. And she just kind of reminded us that a lot of times um, the people carrying that title around necessarily don't have the amount of influence or control that um, some of the people under them assume um, that a lot of times the coordinators themselves um, hands are tied and uh, would like to do things differently if they could, but they can't. And so uh, another little spin on the whole uh, coordination conundrum in terms of creating a program, implementing it. And then of course, you know, trying to satisfy those higher up on the chain. Yeah, we see people just got to be tougher. Those coordinators just got to <laughs> toughen up. Well, that's that is a big part of it, and it, and it's a good call. It's a good yeah, call. and it, it, that that toughness is a is a huge thing. But we're today we're talking about toughness in the classroom or teachers being tough towards their students, right? Yeah, and it it uh, it com- we're, we this topic comes to us because of fallout from. An article in the Wall Street Journal that uh, now is a little bit dated. It's back in September, September 2013. Article by uh, Joanne Lipman, uh, titled uh, "What Tough Why Touch Why Tough Teachers Get Good Results." Why tough teachers get good results? And an assumption there in the title, right there. But um, just one, right? <laughs> yes, right. It's just about one teacher, and uh, yeah, we. It it ruffled our feathers back then, and you know it's been st- it's been stewing, and I think we're, we think we're ready to 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 tackle it at this point. Well, we've been both stewing about that for a while. Yeah. How long ago did uh was it that you sent that to me? 
Mm, in the fall sometime. Uh, the, the article came out at the end of, end of September, so... Um, Again, remind me. It, it might have been a little bit uh, a time delay, but yeah, it wouldn't have been October, November. I don't know. Yeah. Okay, so we've opened up this can of worms, this... What did you call it? Um, a can of snake pits? <laughs> yeah, something <laughs> Before like when that. We were a, can, a can of worms is fine. Yeah, this whole, I again, you know, I alluded to that pretty cl- Can you allude clearly, by the way? <laughs> I, I was about to say, I alluded to that pretty clearly, which kind of seems like an oxymoron, right? Mm. Um, toughen up on my grammar, Tony. Yeah. The idea of tough being tough and the image and the idea of a teacher and what's happening in classrooms. And it's just such a oversimplification. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. The incredible amount of variability that occurs in a classroom. As if like one rule, one approach is going to fit all my classes and all my students. And that's the basic issue right Right. away is the oversimplification. And you had some ideas about this, Tony. I think you were talking about this person as well as um, some other writers when they popularize ideas. Right. Uh, just to sketch out the the um, the article itself, um, she begins with you know talking about one of her high school teachers, who was a tough teacher, and uh, insulted students and re- was very reserved with compliments. So she makes the point that she does he does comp- did compliment the students and his compliment was not bad, um, and uh, f- talked about how the students in later in life some of them were very successful came back and were appreciative and so forth and from this she uh, develops uh, what she herself calls a manifesto um talking about excellence and um it's pretty clear that in the article she's talking about advantaged or gifted at least above average students and that uh, struck me that way too yeah and uh, and, and as you said from this w- experience with this one teacher um, develops this manifesto and saying this is t- tough teachers get good results. Well, this teacher did um, with and, those uh, students, with those students, and then you know, under those circumstances, <laughs> oh, grossly overgeneralizes <laughs> it, and it comes out, and it turns out that yeah, common wisdom about education is wrong, and we need to go back to uh, you know being strict and being tough and so forth and so on, and. Um, Valid question about how how tough to be or when to do discipline, so forth and so on. But yeah, the part of the, the methodology, the, that gross oversimplification, which um, I guess is is also one of the things that uh, popular writer Malcolm Gladwell does. Um, but he does it well. <laughs> he's, well. He's a story. Yeah, he, he's a great he, storyteller. Yeah, a good storyteller. Good and writer. There's there's a place for simplification. Yes. And then there's the problem of oversimplification. And I think it was Einstein that said, says, uh, I try to make the, uh, my ideas um, as simple as possible, but no to under, as simple to understand as possible, but no simpler. Right. Um, because there's a limit. Because once you oversimplify, you start losing key elements of, of the argument and the, the situation. It, 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 and it's no longer valid. Well, there's... I think an understanding amongst most people who are in the classroom, or actually that's an overgeneralization. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to go back. The people I know who have been teaching for a while and continue to teach do not seem to be coming up with more answers. 
when we get together and talk. I know this happens with you and I, Tony, right? We have many more questions than when we started. Mm-hmm. I think many more doubts um, about the whole issue. Um, so I just, yeah, I just hate this oversimplification. And it just makes me nuts because when I was reading the article, I was just like, okay, well, give me the background on this school, right? I think, didn't, what was the description? She said that when this teacher died and they had a concert in that teacher's honor, that she was amazed by the people who showed up who were CEOs, lawyers, doctors, right? Really successful people. And it's kind of like, well, what high school did you go to? Give me the background here. What kind of, you know, head start did people have? What kind of family backgrounds did they have? And how, you know, was this, who who was in this orchestra, right? What kind of students would be in the orchestra? So there's all these questions. So yes, oversimplification, one should always be very wary. Any, any overreaching solution to a problem always makes me doubt. And, uh, Along with that is the, you know, presenting anecdotal evidence as proof of something, uh, you know, kind of throwing out the whole idea of correlation and causation. Oh, yeah. Um, He's like, okay, he did this and there were good results. Can you attribute that success to that methodology? Um, You know, maybe he wore a green tie every day. Uh, Should all teachers wear green ties? No, no, no. <laughs> the teacher should not have to wear ties. But uh, I mean, that, yeah, that oversimplification, right? It's um, and it's and you and when you have a good storyteller, uh, it it can seem like a very appealing idea, um, especially because because it's so simple and it's like, yeah, it turns out well. Doesn't maybe maybe it doesn't turn out. <laughs> let's look at it a little closer. Right? Well, let's look at our classrooms. Yeah, Why so don't we bring it personally. And, okay, uh, you, you go tough? first. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, as I said, you know, tough. Um, I think you said it best when we were talking about scolding a student. How how did you put it? That what was it you said? You have no problem scolding a student. I have no problem scolding a student, and I and, and we talked when, about, or mentioned if, about Japan, right? right? Um, right. Or using the shame card. But um, only with a certain kind of student, correct? Exactly. You exactly. Why exactly. don't you go probably through that the, before you go into the, sh- the use of the shame card? Yeah. Explain and, under what conditions or circumstances you would do that. So, for example, looking at the like again, making big assumptions about uh, this woman's high school class, um, and I and I teach, for example, at at a good university with lots of good students. Um, and they are confident, and they are um, able. And yeah, students like that, I have no problem being tough with and making, subjecting them to very high standards uh, of performance, and 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 whacking them—not literally, but whacking them with the stick when uh, when necessary. What you don't want is different kinds of students at different kinds of schools who are have been. <laughs> Um, subject to questionable teaching methods for most of their life um, and are whose behavior is driven primarily by fear already. And the job there is to 
coax these kids to come out of their shell so that they can actually do something. And the last thing you want to do when they start poking their head out from their shell is to whack them with a stick. Um, those kids need encouragement, not toughness. Well, some people would argue that encouragement is a form of toughness. How's that? Nah, now that I said it, doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't carry no. much weight. <laughs> it doesn't fly. <laughs> good, good, good. So I can toss that one out and use that <laughs> the next time. I remember in a podcast when this came up. <laughs> yeah, I again, what you're talking about, Tony, and it's so important, is the variability. Yeah. Right? That it, you just, it's not one size fits all. So I also think you're right, that there are certain students who will respond to that kind of toughness so for example i do the thing where um as one of my my main school where you know if, which is a good school students obviously have pretty good academic success previously before coming into the school i don't know what happens after they get into the school <laughs> but when a student will I'll say excuse me um let me see your homework i want to see how you're doing and the student says i didn't do my homework and you say why and they say well i forgot or i was absent and that's a very difficult situation for me to accept knowing that that kid would never have done that in high school right. right and now that they're a freshman and they have the idea that college is not a serious endeavor that's a situation where it's fair to you know scold the kid now my question is you said you do the shame thing right so is this a public shaming you do or is it a private scolding shame oh it's case by case i mean so it, sometimes it, it, you will you will talk to the student in front of the class Oh, of course. Yeah, especially if it's a, you know, it's an extroverted student, someone who's confident, maybe something of a leader. And yeah, it's like, yeah, I have no problem like calling them out in front of everybody else and say, okay, this is what's going to happen to you guys. Because <laughs> you know, I, I, I know, mm. or I think I know, um, I think I know that this kid can handle it. Mm. Um, and that for this person, this kid, male or female, um, this is an effective teaching tool. Right. Um, with other students, it is not. Yes. And uh, the other thing that I, to, just to make it a little bit more complicated, I think is. Oh, please maybe, don't. We always think, <laughs> also need to think about this. This is not a, a linear spectrum. It's not a, it's not a one dimensional thing. In the article, she makes this mistake too. Um, she, the, the quote is like, strict is better than nice. And now, as if they're both, as if as, they're mutually exclusive. Exactly, exactly. And that we talked about oversimplification, right? And it flows in the sentence. And if you don't stop to think about it, it's like, well, you're, but wait a minute, the apples and oranges. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think you can be strict and nice. I like to think that I am, but <laughs> yeah, it's I don't know, it's, it's a good example. It's that you know, strict is better than nice. I mean, really, what does that mean? I mean, obviously, an absence of strictness, an absence of limits, an absence of rules and clear understanding of what are acceptable and unacceptable behaviors in the classroom, what the expectations are, what you're hoping to accomplish, how, you know, the teacher and the students expect each other to perform in the classroom, you know, each other's responsibilities to each other. Of course, those have to be delineated. But does that make you tough if you do that? Does that make you strict? Or does that make you not nice and mean? Yeah, she's. What happens is she's totally conflating the the concept of the teacher student relationship and standards. Um, uh oh. You know, having high standards, asking the students to meet high standards is not. I don't think either being strict or nice. It's just 
subjecting yes. students to high standards. This is what's expected Excuse of you. Excuse me, yeah. High standards are it's part of the job. I think it was um I think John Hattie said it best where he said his the job of teachers is not to get students to do their best, it's to get them to do better than their best. Hmm. I like that. It's to get them to rise beyond the expectations they hold for themselves and to achieve even more than they think they can. Hmm. I like that. I think that's really good. But to expect that from students, that does that make you strict? Does that make you tough? Does that make you nice? So it's that whole emphasis she has on discipline calling students. What is it? This guy used to call people idiots? Yes. Right? Um, yes. You know, I had a teacher who was tough. <laughs> and I've he, had he a number. <laughs> it was one of the best teachers I ever had. And I was taking a upper division literature class. I think it was my first upper division literature class. And I made a statement. I just shot from the hip. And um, the professor just looked at me, asked me my name very formally. I said, Charles Wiz. And he goes, no, no, what's your, or I said, Charles. He goes, no, no, what's your last name? And it was Wiz. And he's, because that's how he referred to students as Mr. or Miss, right? Mm-hmm. Very formal. And he turned to me and he, in front of the entire class, he said, Mr. Wiz, that was a stupid remark that indicated absolutely zero thinking. Never, ever, ever say anything like that in my classroom again. So I went home and cried. <laughs> and man, did I bust my butt in that class and made sure that one day when there was something came up and I knew I was ready to talk and he looked at me with a look that said, okay, this is it. And I responded, you know, made my comment and he said, thank you very much. Please feel free to make comments anytime. He called me perfectly. Right. right? And that because I was you, were, the kind you of st- were strong enough, you were tough enough and right. able enough to be able to respond to that. And so another did, student might have never come back to the class. But here's the key. It's what he said. He was like, you know, that, you know, he understood that I was shooting from the hip. Mm-hmm. In other words, it wasn't an, an indication of my intelligence. Rather, it was an indication of focus and a certain degree of discipline and rigor. And maybe a small point, um, small maybe, brain, but maybe, but maybe not. He, he, what he said was that it was a stupid answer. Yeah, he didn't say that you were stupid. exactly, exactly. And this is such an important point: is do not comment on students' abilities or or their characters. Comment on their work, on their behavior, on behavior, their behaviors. Their product, yeah, 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 yeah. We could do a whole episode on that. So tough. Um, I'd be really curious. I mean, I would, you know, it's kind of hard to get that that kind of feedback from students, but I'd be very curious <laughs> what my students would say if you asked them that question. It's like, is is Silva a tough teacher? I don't know what they would say. Okay, but I do know that for a fact that sometimes I ask my students, do you think I'm strict? And they say yes. And I'm like, why? And they say, well, you give us a lot of homework. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I gave you an hour of homework this week. <laughs> right? It's, 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 again, it's the way people interpret things. It's a lack of rigor. And this, again, is the problem with that article, is there's no real way to understand what is tough, what does strict mean in a real understandable way. Right. Again, it's a conflation of, of the attitude or the atmosphere in the class versus you know, expecting st- students to meet standards. And 
there's no unraveling of it. It's all kind of thrown in together. Okay, but talk about the whole weirdness of it. There's the teacher's view, and then there's the student view. Mm -hmm. And there are issues of accuracy there and how well students actually perceive what's going on and how they evaluate things. And especially for us when we're carrying out instruction in a second foreign language, right? Mm. So God knows how many translation errors or mistakes are occurring. But if I were going to ask myself, you know, am I tough? I would say if by tough you mean that I have expectations that students will learn, that they'll use the language, that they will step out of their comfort zone and try to explore and learn to make mistakes, and that I expect students to make mistakes and learn to become comfortable making mistakes, I guess in that sense I'm tough. But I don't see myself as being tough in that kind of Vince Lombardi, you know, yelling, angry, demeaning coach kind of uh, stereotype that people have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think you see yourself that way either, do you? No, I don't. But we have... But, go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, but I don't know if some, some of my students might perceive that. See, that's the interesting thing. Uh -huh. So if that's the case, maybe this guy who was perceived as being strict was kind of like, well, I don't know what they're talking about. This yeah, is maybe his self-image was like milk toast, right? Well, I'm thinking, I'm thinking back to, for example, my father, right, who was born in was born in 1918 in Poland. And when he was being raised, you know, hitting kids was just normal. Back then, mm. if you were born left-handed, for example, they actually put a board on your arm and tied your arm to your body so you couldn't use your left hand. So, so that you'd become right-handed, right? right? Mm. So my daughter was left is left-handed, and my father said, whatever you do, don't tie her hand up. And I kind of guffawed a little bit. And then I thought to myself and said, wait a second, this guy's definitely moved the bar from what how he was raised. But he was a tough guy, you know, very little praise, a lot of criticism. You know, he didn't point out what was done well as much as he pointed out what was wrong with something. And to him, as he said, you know, if I if I pointed out that you only needed two points to get a perfect score, he says, I was complimenting you. And I said, nah, but when you're a kid, that's not a compliment. So there's a whole perceptual issue here, hmm. right? Hmm. And then there's the parents' perceptions on top of things. If you're a high school teacher or a junior high school or elementary school teacher, I think. Yeah, there's a whole other dimension, and I'm so happy not to deal with that for right. the most part. But in terms of education, the bar has been raised quite a bit, I think. Hmm. So I don't know about... Well, for example, this guy obviously could not get away by calling a student an idiot anymore. Correct. And then the, uh, the article does say as much. Right. But this is somebody pining for the good old days. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> the, 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 the author of this article see, if I have this, this right. Bad you want to have somebody <laughs> yell at you. But I think, Tony, we need to also go back to the kind of person who can benefit from that kind of – I want to stop for a second. I want to take away – toughness here i don't think this guy's a dis it's a description of toughness again right mm, okay real i'm gonna call it in you know a critic critical approach to teaching whereby negative a negative approach it's not it's borderline mean in a certain way right what kind of students benefit from that and you i think you and i agree on this right 
Yeah, it's a disciplinarian. Yeah, I don't know a really good way to describe it, but well, yeah, of course. It's uh, again, um, students who one are tough enough to to be able to shrug off that kind of, for lack of a better word, abuse, um, but also be able to redirect that, you know, whatever the feeling is felt, right? Whether it's anger or embarrassment or shame, who know enough or able enough to able to redirect that emotion into motivation and to then, you know, improve their own performance, you know, whether it's musical or whether it's academic or even on sports. What's going to be a motivated student, probably at a reasonably high level of achievement. Right. It's not going to be the mediocre average student, unless, of course, and here comes that key word now, right? That person has an incredible amount of grit. Hmm. And we definitely want to talk about the importance of grit. Maybe that's what the teacher gave to students was grit. Or I'd like to know how many kids dropped out of orchestra so that he was left with the kind of students, you know, self-selecting process yes. was left. You know, you see that in your elective classes, right? Where sure. I do sure. Not... It's like kids don't come back to somebody. I can't do that. I'm not coming back. Here. Right, right. I've had students, you know, 15, 20 walk in on the first day. We talk about the class. Next week, there's three left. Four left, and that's because those are the students who say, "Okay, yeah, I'm interested in doing this level of work. I'm motivated enough for this. Is what I want. This works for me." So there's a lot of self-selection in that group too. Yeah. The other interesting thing is that she does, um, um, in in her manifesto, does mention grit. Good call, and manifesto. It, by the way, well, that's what she called it. <laughs> <laughs> Good call and, on her part, then. <laughs> And uh, she does talk a, a, a bit about grit and talk about how talks about how grit is uh, a more important factor than talent. Um, goes on to talk about that grit can be taught. Um, cites a study uh, done at West Point by someone named Duckworth. Um, but the interesting thing, and I don't know how she fits this in with um, <laughs> with her former teacher. Um, the, the results of the research, this is a yes, that grit can be taught. And uh, quoting, one surprisingly simple factor, she says, is optimism. The belief among both teachers and students <laughs> that they have the ability to change and thus Why are we improve. both guffawing here? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how calling students idiots <laughs> leads to this kind of optimism and <laughs> nurturing of grit. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would really like somebody to show me that wiring. Yeah, you know, does that that you call somebody an idiot and they're like, wow, I have a future. <laughs> you know, the but future's that's... so bright, I gotta wear shades. shades. <laughs> oh, God. The Vapors. No, was it The Vapors? That was, that was a great song. My future's so bright, I gotta wear shades. But I was just called an idiot, so I'm removing the shades, <laughs> right? But, you know, that grit thing, you were talking about this. Once you mentioned, um, what was it, West Point? Mm -hmm. Makes me think about those people who say that hazing makes you tougher. That bullying makes you tougher. Mm -hmm. That if you survive oh, bullying, you know, it's, point, right? it's a I mean, similar it's the kind of argumentation. Thing. A little scary, huh? And again, you know, if you are very selective and you make the oversimplify things, you can appear to make a case for it. If you if you if you ignore you know, most of the data. <laughs> yeah, you know, you sit, you put it aside, and you look at something very selectively. You can you can make these connections and say, "Oh yeah, okay, look, this kid was abusing this, and look what he did." So why don't we do this to everybody? Yeah, 
Uh. Or the other way is that people say, well, you know, 95% of kids do not have a traumatic incident from because they're bullied, but 5% end up, you know, attempting suicide. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty good thing overall. Mm. That's the, the kind of thinking. It, it ignores that, that one kid in the classroom. And it goes back, was it, it's a Hippo, Hippocratic Oath or something, or the first rule of medicine is do no harm? Correct, yeah. You know, when, I, when I'm working with people, who, you know, my students who are going to be teachers, I, I t tell them that. Rule number one is do no harm. Rule number two is you will harm people, <laughs> right? That's the nature of the job. Yeah. Right? But, yeah, that oversimplification again, the idea. You see, there's an oversimplification and the misapplication of the term grit. Grit does not mean toughening someone up against abuse, right? Grit mm. here actually means staying power. And again, that optimism, what they're talking about there, I think is the belief that the student knows that if they can put in the time and the f focus, that they will be able to master the material. Which is very different from this kind of grit means that I can take very, abuse very different. from the teacher. Very, very different. Right? And that's really what grit means when we're talking about it educationalized. It's staying power, right? The right. Ability, not giving up. Sure. Right? That even though you're struggling with the concept, you you know that you'll be able to achieve it. But it's also, it's not a one-dimensional construct either. I think a lot of that also is that there has to be the belief on the part of the student that, hey, if I don't get it, I know that my teacher will assist me and help me try to get it. So... Grit has to be removed now, kind of from this toughness kind of thing, and you know, defined and delineated really, really carefully. And again, that's why I have problems with an article like that because it oversimplifies. It says grit is being tough, but she doesn't really talk that much about staying power, does she? No. And I think that's really the sign of the most successful students. And the other thing was she, she who did she quote? Erickson, the the professor from Harvard, I think, who says that um, geniuses aren't born, they're made. Mm. Was yeah, it I that? Don't it? I don't remember who she I quoted. I think something along those lines, and it's like, excuse me, but first off, we have to look at this historical concept of genius, number one. Mm. And number two, no, some people are born with a lot, some incredible brain power or talent. They're born with talent, and then they ha work hard and optimize their talent. But to say that everyone has the potential to be a genius through hard work, I'm sorry, not the case. I will never, ever get my head around quantum mechanics. You know? There's just some True. things my brain cannot handle. Um, Japanese grammar, there's another one. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, again, this that whole article and this attitude and i'm always very you know tony very wary of wary and weary of <laughs> return to always scares me a bit what are we returning to you know it's like suddenly the 50s or the 60s because of television shows and nostalgia or whatever even the 70s are now being viewed in this positive light 
The good old days, right? Yeah, the good old days. It's always reductive they were not and oversimplified really that good. and selective. It, 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 it's, yeah, they were never that good. Someday somebody's going to make a TV show about the, the 2007-2008 you know, economic meltdown and how it was just a wonderful time. There'll be some you know, cable TV <laughs> show that we'll download from iTunes or something. But oversimplification is the real issue here for a very complicated thing. So let's bring it back into the classroom. And we have to emphasize that our classroom management issues are pretty minor compared to what people would go through, let's say, in a high school, an elementary school, or a junior high school. We're at college oh, level. Uh, right? Yeah, totally different world. Yeah, it's like, okay, my student was <laughs> using their cell phone in class. That's pretty much my biggest classroom management issue. <laughs> um, but yeah. what's what should a teacher do? Let's look at a inexperienced new teacher coming into the classroom. What advice would you give them in terms of making a call on terms of being strict, establishing rules? Should you scold a student who does not meet the standards that have been established? What would you say to somebody just starting out? Be careful. <laughs> okay. That's, be that's careful. a wrap again. Tony has <laughs> nailed the show. Okay. What does be careful mean though? Um, you really have to um, do And again, without experience, it's really hard, but it is something that you've got to learn to do. Um, you've really got to take a, whatever, whatever tools you can bring to it to look at that class and really try and figure out um, things about that class. Number one, what it's capable of, what it's not capable of. Um, what's going to motivate those students and what's not going to motivate those students. Uh, and what is it that you do um, that meshes with them, with them? And what is it that you do that just ain't going to fly in this in this classroom? Now, yeah, for a new teacher, that's really hard to do. Um, specifics. Thank you. Um, you, you, you can, you, you test with different kinds of activities at the beginning to see what results you get, what, what can you bounces, give an what doesn't second, bounce. Tony? Sorry to interrupt, but um, just to be really concrete, cause I'm interested to see what, to know what you're doing. Uh, so, um, one example, um, you might have for, as I did this year, um, uh, a class, a, a group of students who had, almost zero experience speaking English. And the way that I would ordinarily teach this class is, you know, make an assignment, give a, a short spiel of my own, um, put them into groups, and then go. Um, I Day one, I realized this was not going to work with these kids because they were all just you know, they were speaking English. They were just all staring at the edges, front edges of their own desk. Um really had to step back, break it down, and teach them how to converse in English. Um, basic, basic. State an idea. Okay, now you build on it. What are some, what are some questions you can ask about this? Or what can you add to it? What do you disagree with? Do you agree with her? Yes or no? Why? Okay, so then you would say, I think so too. And then you add something, right? Why do you think so? Because, and step by step, <laughs> to the limits of my patience, um, took those kids through 
the smallest little steps to what I would ordinarily just assume that the kids would be able to do. Um, the other thing that um, I do when we talked about this in when we talk about what we do on first days and there's all kinds of little um, hidden assessment tells that you slip into your introduction, your first class, your introduction. Um, you, you make a joke. Okay. Who, how many kids laugh at the joke? Who laughs? Who doesn't laugh? Um, this is assuming the joke is good though. My jokes are good. See, if my students grow, <laughs> if my students grow, then I know well, that's they great understand. too. Then that's I understand. That's great too. That's fine too. That's fine too. The, but the blank stare, right? Um, and then, you know, it, it, very, very simple the responses to questions, right? And I, and, and I got a great example. I might have used it before. Uh, my first day uh, at a new university, so I had no sense of where these kids were. This is at the opposite extreme of, of the kids I just mentioned. Oh, this is um, a great story, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's the first day and you, you do your spiel and this is okay. And it's like, are there any questions? And, of course, you teach English in Japan. There are never any questions. It's just a formality. It's a, you just do it because it's one, yeah, it's usually one of the things. It's a teacher asking thing. So, yeah, are there any questions? And the kid raises his hand. They go, oh, wow, this is, this is unique. This is great. What's going on? And the kid's question <laughs> do you ever regret becoming a teacher? I was like, oh man. Not until now. <laughs> go back back to the drawing board on this one. I gotta redesign this whole class. And you know, I realized that you know this whole inter class introduction I did, I was like aiming way low for these but guys. That's talking this way to, to them, them so they <laughs> and could understand. So politely me. listening to me, and it's like, oh man. Okay. So what you would do is you run a cup. Basically, you're running diagnostics. Yes. Which is trying to get feedback from students so that you have a sense of their, not just their abilities, but their attitudes. How much do they know about the pragmatic aspects of the language as well as how well do they, you know, can they work together? Do they understand the ideas of group work and pair work and can they stay on task? So, okay, so you're running all these diagnostics on the first day. So now you tell the teacher, the first thing you do is run your diagnostics, right? Then once you know that, how, how do you calibrate the level of toughness for the class? For me, the level of what you're talking about in terms of like calling them idiots, I mean, in, in the toughness in the way that that article. Uh, no, no, we meant, meant it in the way that we were talking about it, which is, you in, know, in terms adhering of standards to and standards in the classroom and then pointing it out to students, right? Because the the, there's the other element of toughness, too, because you, at the one time, you're at once, you, one, one level, you're, you're uh, evaluating their ability and their communicative skill, but you're also, or I am, um, also looking at control issues. Some kids will, for example, just will do whatever you tell them to do. And it's a student-to-student it's a student difference and it's a class-to-class -class difference. If you tell them, you know, to like, make pairs and talk, and they'll just do it. Other classes, they've got to be cajoled and <laughs> persuaded. And others have to be pushed rather sternly. Uh, otherwise, they won't do it. Um, so you've got to assess that too. So, so that that element of toughness is also a, a factor there. Um, and in terms of, yeah, their ability, you look and see what 
they're able, what they're good at, what they're not good at. Take a look at what you think, what you thought you were going to do um, in the semester, and then make the adjustments as as needed. All right. So maybe um, you're going to have to do more listening exercises than uh, free conversation type discussions. Um, maybe you're going to have to concentrate a little bit more on structure, and maybe you're going to have to do uh, a little bit more work with vocabulary and the drilling and quiz- quizzing with vocabulary. Um, maybe not. Maybe you need to do a lot less of some of those things. Um, you just have to look at the kids, what they're able to do, what they what they respond to, and horror of horrors, what they enjoy. Mm. Um because they're going to learn a lot more by doing things that they like to do, for the most part. Right, but then we get into the whole problem of that there's a whole lot of stuff you have to do that you don't like to do. That's always the case. Right, that's maybe where you know a certain degree of um, strictness comes into play. But I'm thinking of the first day, and I know I've had this situation. You have a class of about 35, 40 students. I think I've told this story before. I probably told all my stories already. Come to think of it, <laughs> but I was in a um, not the best school and not the best level of language classes. And I was sitting in front of the class about three minutes before first day, setting everything up. And what I like to do is you go in, you set things up, and you can kind of watch what's going on in the classroom. But students think you're occupied with setting up the right the machine and the projector, et cetera, and your computer. And there was a student who was just talking to his friends and he was animated and everything was fine. And then as soon as the bell rang and I started talking, the kid put his head down on the table. Ooh. Yeah. (laughs) Poor kid. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what I thought. And, you know, you look at that and you think, oh, man. Now, some people actually say that you should ignore the behavior the disruptive behavior and only praise positive behavior. But, you know, there's that issue as a teacher on the first day where you have to say, hey, you know, excuse me, but um, this is our classroom, but I'm responsible for it. What would you have done in that situation? Let me put the burden on you before I tell you what I did. This is the, the first day of class? It's the first day of class. It's first April, you know, first April class. Got 40 students in the classroom. It's a hard class to manage anyhow. These are not English majors. They're taking it because it's a required class. Kid's talking away to his friends before the bell rings. And as soon as the bell rings and as soon as I start talking, the kid just put his head down right on the table. What kind of cl- what class is it? What kind of class? It's a, basically, it's an oral English oral class. class. Yeah. Um, depending... On the school, again, school culture and everything else, I would probably wake him up and suggest that he was, that tell him that he, you're in the wrong room. Mm. Would you? And he'll say, no, no, no. So I'm, I'm supposed to say, no, you're in the wrong room. You're in the wrong room. <laughs> <laughs> and pursue that and until he got the idea. Do you speak quietly to him or do you speak loudly enough so that other students can hear? Oh, this is a golden opportunity. No, I talk loudly so that other students See, can hear. Very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> this is a golden opportunity for me because this kid's asking for it. I have no problem. Like Again, I'd have no problem scolding students. 
And this guy is the test case. He's, he's, this is what students do. They'll test the teacher. Exactly. And I'm going to say, okay, this, this class, this is what happens. <laughs> this is what happens when you do this in my class. Mm. You don't want to do it again. Yeah. It's interesting. So, it's ex- and you? No, I would never have done that. <laughs> I do exactly that. You know, as soon as I started talking and I saw his head go down, I walked over to him. I said, excuse me, as he kept his head down. I tapped lightly on the table. He kept his head down. And then I basically knocked a little louder on the table until he mm. raised his head. And I said very clearly, as I said, this is obviously not the class for you. And I am not the proper teacher for you. Please go find another teacher. And, of course, this had to be repeated three, four, or five times. And he right, refused. I right. said, okay, you do understand that. And then I had to say to the class, I say, excuse me, but this is a good time to mention the fact that even if you come to class every day, you will not pass the class unless you do passing work. But, right, the you know, the idea of toughness, right, which is overused in that article but then the idea that there are students who will challenge a teacher's authority and you have to have enough confidence and know how to manage that so that students understand that you can control the situation. Because if you don't, you'll never get control of that class back. The students yeah. see, you know, right? Yeah, this stu- is the question of the teacher's grit. Yes, yes, yes. We need to develop. I need to develop more grit. <laughs> I, hate, I hate that gritty sandpaper feel, right? But it's, you know, if you don't mark that, then you're telling students that it's okay. Right, exactly. If you don't, yeah, especially on the first day, if you don't stop that right then, then that sets the tone right. for the entire year. But I, ha- and, I have uh, to admit, too, though, that it really is a special kind of kid who can get on my nerves <laughs> in two seconds. You know, that really is a talent. Yeah, yeah. That's an unbelievable. Yeah, well, that, 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 would, that would do it for me, too. We talked about, you know, pet peeves a long time ago. That's right up there. That, that For sure. That's a button. Yeah, that's like the kid who puts his feet up on the desk. Tilts back, kicks back, right? It's just like, oh. I never had that. I had that happen one time. And, uh, you know, again, it is the same thing. I walk oh, over wait, to wait, the wait, student. Wait. Go. go ahead. Okay, go. Yeah, no, no, go, 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 go. Walk over to the student, and then you have to say, excuse me, but this is not an appropriate way to sit. And if the student, you know, and this t- one time the student just wouldn't respond and wouldn't listen to me. So I said, okay, fine. What's your student number? And uh, wouldn't give me a student number. So you could see this is really going to be trouble already. Mm-hmm. So um, I did the only thing I did, which was take roll. And, of course, there were some missing student numbers he knew I was watching for him. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have to just give, you know, a test. And the student, of course, is going to get a zero, Right. Mm-hmm. And he'll self-select out, but you, you right. have to mark the behavior, not tolerate it, not allow it. Um, but a lot of um, times you can walk past a classroom and you can see a lot of kids sleeping in Japan, right? In the classrooms. Mm-hmm. And the prof- a lot of professors don't seem to mind that. Are you tough about s- students sleeping in your classroom, Tony? Do you allow yeah. students to sleep? Uh, on occasion. Um, and it depends on the class. Um I've got one class that, sadly, I have to say, through lack of grit, I've kind of given up on. And uh, the class before the last class before the break, I think I had three kids asleep. And I said, "Yeah, Merry Christmas." <laughs> it's, yeah, it's the end. Yeah, it's the end of the year. Um, there's no, 
there's nothing to be gained. Let them, they're not disrupting. They're not bothering anybody else. I don't want to see their faces. Let them sleep. Um, but I said I never had someone put their feet up on a desk, and this kind of speaks to the you know, we talked about before that strict is better than nice. Um, I remember in case I, a case that I did, uh, but it's a, it was it's kind of a unique situation, right? Again, it's, that was where it happened one situation, time in twenty five years. Yeah, well, it's, it's one of these things about the oversimplification, right? Um, this goes way back. Um, this goes back to this goes back twenty two years. And this was when I was kind of, we talked about those coordinators who were impotent. Um, I was kind of. Now speak um, for yourself, res- Tony. <laughs> responsible, <laughs> responsible for this um, study abroad program, which was you know, very poorly constructed. And uh, it, was, um, it, was, it was kind of a, it was, I don't know, all, all kinds of things wrong with it. But anyway, we had, um, we sent students um, overseas for, Oh, what was it? I think it was like close to six months with only like maybe eight weeks of training. They come in in April and eight weeks later, we send them to uh, Vancouver for six months, uh, homestay and study abroad. And then they came back and um, the school had nothing set up. And so I did this ad hoc reentry little mini program of my own. Because they had no classes to take, but they're paying the school, so we have to do something. So okay, give them to me. And um, you know, of course, returnees coming back, re- reverse culture shock. And uh, you know, I would taught them as best I could before they left, and uh, dealing with them when they came back. And there was one guy who's, um, by any other you know, standards, he's a stand-up guy. He's not a punk. Um, serious student, serious about his future, um, I could see um, that his putting his feet, his big construction boot feet up on the desk, um, he was, that was, that was not an act of defiance. Uh, He was asking for help. Hmm. Um, He was having his own hard time getting back into the groove in Japan. And I said, you know, um, I, oh, I can remember his name. I probably shouldn't say his name anyway, even I can remember it. But um, I think it was Seichi. But anyway, Seichi, it's like, um, yeah, I, I know in, in in Canada, you know, it's kind of cool to put your feet up. I says, but you know, you're you're not you're not in Vancouver anymore. So when you go back there, you can you can you can do that. But you're back in Japan, and you got to do Japan. And you do this in any other classroom, you're going to have huge problems. Unless you're trying to make problems for yourself, you got to learn that the, the Western way is the Western way and the Japanese way is the Japanese way. And you've got to be able to separate those two and get good at being both. Flip the you can't switch. confuse the two. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, just calm, rational discussion. Um, whereas you can just imagine if, you know, another teacher. Uh, Me. A, Jap- <laughs> a, a Japanese teacher. Right. Right. With the uh, prejudice against returnees um, mm. who's, you know, whose English at this point, you know, their English is very good, but better than most of the teachers that we had, the Japanese teachers, Japanese English teachers that we had and who um, just um, just get so riled by evidence of that westernization 
um, that it would just so quickly escalate into a, a, an explosion, you know, just a disaster. Um, but it was just like totally diffused. Um, so I don't know, strict, tough, not in this case, I guess. Mm, yeah. Right. So yeah, definitely a different situation. Can't, can't simplify that. <laughs> well, the one thing you could simplify is that you always start off calmly. Mm. Right. In a certain way, it's the, the scariest thing is the, the calm teacher. Mm. I always found, you know, the one who just comes over and very calmly tells you what is acceptable or not acceptable. But, yeah, let you know that that he's not threatened by by whatever you're trying to pull. And it's something that um, young teachers or inexperienced teachers or novice teachers are not taught. That you yeah. have to you have to establish control of the classroom, and um, that. That doesn't make you tough or strict, but, you know, to create a classroom environment that I want, I have to make sure that students understand that I am the facilitator of that and that the classroom is being defined by um, what I have decided based on my experience and my knowledge as a teacher is being optimal for them once I have that feedback, but there are certain basics. I think you have to walk in and you definitely have to make it clear that, you know, you're the teacher, you have standards, you have expectations, and you expect people to adhere to them. And that, you know, hey, right now, I'm the big dog, so to speak. And I'm happy to relinquish being the big dog, right? I love a completely collaborative, cooperative classroom. But you can't walk in and do that from the beginning. Right. I think we've talked about this. This is like the, a situation where um, people want to start a new program and they say, we want to work from consensus and we want to work completely collaboratively. And you, you have to say something like, no, 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 we can only work from consensus and completely collaboratively when we have that group of people until we have found all those people and found the right team that can work that way, it's going to be very hard because there's always going to be the people who will take advantage of the situation and will, mm. by using consensus, you know, nothing will get done. So, yeah, yeah, we walk into the classroom. I think that's a big difference too, experienced versus inexperienced. I was just going to say that I think for a, a new teacher, for an inexperienced teacher, probably this is one of the hardest things, um, trying to get reach that balance that comfort zone and again it's different for different people um of control mm -hmm. and um how much freedom and how much leash to give the class um when do you yank on the chain and when do you don't um how and one of the things that's changed in my teaching is that i've gotten a lot more comfortable um with uh, uh giving the class a lot more freedom mm. um uh, I will let things go a lot farther than I might have when I was uh, uh, a younger teacher where, you know, again, very frankly, fear of loss of control. Um, so, oh, oh, this is getting out of hand. I got to I got to I got to rein this in. I got I got I got to pull this back a little bit because the things are I, I, I might I might lose control of the class and don't have that anymore. As you said, it's easier to stay calm mm. and um, and I've been very lucky and seen 
a lot of positive results were that um, extra little freedom, they the kids will turn it around and they're actually learning in a different way. And it's like, and I learned something. It's like, okay. And in some situations that'll work from the beginning. But I think in most of the situations I know, I have to create that atmosphere. You, and a lot of times the kids want it. I mean, they, they don't want to, they won't be comfortable with a, a blank sheet of paper. They want some guidance and some rules and some outline. And then they may, they may test it, but they want, they, they need direction. They want it. Right. Right. It's a, com- I mean, it makes them comfortable. It's like, it's like, and you know, again, you have to exude the authority. It's like, you know, this, I know what I'm doing. This is, yeah. this, and this is, this is the way it's going to be. And so, and you've got, you know, it's a selling job. You got to sell it. I guess. Yeah. In a sense, it's kind of like follow my rules and the classroom is yours mm. in a certain way. But, yeah. you know, Tony, when you're talking about that, uh, thinking about the fear of losing control and that idea that you're, I think, early in your career that you have to maintain control of the classroom. The thing that was the real breakthrough point for me was learning to not care whether the students liked me Hmm. i think that's a real important thing is and you see that sometimes with parents too right that they're scared that if they scold their Uh child that uh the kid will withdraw his or her affection it took me a while that i didn't need to be liked by my students that that was going to not allow me to do the things or um make the interventions necessary to you know, really get students to learn. And once I let go of that, then, you know, things worked really nicely along with, you know, being able to let go of control. So I think at the beginning of a teaching career, you want the students to like you, you want to have control. Loss of control is really scary. But this goes back again to um, one of our previous podcasts where we were talking about the fact that, you know, it's not an orchestrated performance, right? Yeah, it's a lot of improv. It's a lot of improv. And so, but in that improv, you do have to rein people back when they start jamming too much and they're no longer playing with the group. So you do have to, again, limits. So if being strict means setting limits and adhering to limits, or that's what tough means, then I'd say we're probably both reasonably tough, right? Yeah, it just it, it depends what what those limits might be and where you tend to draw the line. I mean, that might be somebody else's definition of tough, right? Right. Three strikes like and a, you're out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Again, so we're in agreement about this one size fits all again just can't work. Hmm. And that's the hard thing about being a teacher is that you think you've got it figured out and something works and then one day it just doesn't work. Something that's worked 90% or 100% of the time. And then, yeah, sure, it doesn't work. <laughs> That's happened, right? So, yeah, surefire thing. Oh, whoops, <laughs> what's going on? So, the other thing that struck me in the article about this toughness thing was the emphasis on how many hours are required for mastery. Ah, okay. Just want to go through that. that. And I don't know if there's, what's the evidence for that? The, because it's, you know, 
Malcolm Gladwell popularized the idea of 10,000 hours are needed for mastery. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what the evidence is for that. But on the other hand, it's like if somebody's spent 10,000 hours doing something, they're highly motivated and they like what they're doing or they've got a really strict parent watching over their shoulder making sure they practice the piano every day right Hmm. so i don't know but that goes back to that grit thing right about that ability to stay focused and to believe that if you stick with something long enough you will make progress but we have to deal with the fact that not everybody's going to be a perfect speaker and not every person who who is taking a golf lesson is going to become a professional golfer and we have to make adjustments. So I think toughness is just, you know, it's what, what's it's a platitude, I think, that's just being tossed out. It's kind of like, oh, toughness, strictness. It's along the testing regime, right? If you don't pass these tests, then you don't get to be promoted to the next grade. Yeah, and she yeah, it's another thing that she mentioned too. She's talked about looking at effective teachers and what are they doing right. And of course, effective teachers, she does say, is as determined by test scores. Right. That's an effect. <laughs> it's like, okay, so. Okay, I guess if you had put that at the first sentence of your article, I would not have read anymore. <laughs> right, I think it came somewhere at the end or something, right? It, it's, t- it's tucked away down at the end. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, that's not an effective teacher. So, right. but I guess Tony, we've come to the conclusion that we're both reasonably tough. Right, tough guys, tough, tough as we need to be. Tough as we need to be. Tougher than the rest. Yeah. Something along those lines. So, I guess the big takeaways are: be clear. Be judicious. Clear and consistent. Consistent is really important. We could go on and on. That's a whole episode. How Mm. how, how am I not consistent? I noticed some real (laughs) inconsistencies in my behavior this year. (laughs) But that's a whole other story. So maybe it's a good time to wrap up, Tony. I think. I think, yeah, we kind of beat this one. We kind of beat this one to death. But but did a good job. But we didn't get too negative. Hmm. But I think we covered some good things, and I think... There's some valuable things in here for beginning teachers. Yes. And um, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed, yes. (laughs) So we are Two Teachers Talking. Yeah, at uh, twoteacherstalking.com and at Gmail, twoteacherstalking at gmail.com. And Skype. And you get the pattern. Two Teachers Talking. All right. And uh, yeah, this is our our first, uh, first podcast of the year. That's right. Yeah, and we will uh, we'll put a uh, link to the this uh, article that we've been beating to death uh, on the webpage, so you can take a look at that for yourself if you choose. Yes, and be interested to hear what people think, and uh, maybe we should send um, a link to our podcast <laughs> <laughs> to the writer. Mm. See what she has to say, dear Joanne. We disagree say. with you. Okay. Well, I'm going to wish all we go. everybody out there a happy new year. Hoping 2014 is a great year for you. Mm, yes, that's right. Yay, no more no more New Year's food. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really happy. So, Tony, you be well, and we will talk to you soon. Very good. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. <laughs>